Hi, everybody, and welcome to a literature-centered literary nonfiction edition of Words, Images, and Worlds. Delighted on this episode to be joined by author Rebecca E.F. Barone. Rebecca, thank you for jumping in and joining me. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. I'll mention at the top of the episode that you have uh, a few books for young readers out there, Unbreakable being one of those, Race to the Bottom of the Earth being another that I'm sure we'll talk about. So my first question is kind of the author origin question of, of what drew you to the written word and really inspired you to to share in the way that you have. Yeah. So, you know, you talk to many, many authors, and I'm sure Many, if not most, or all of them have this story about, you know, how when they were five or six, they wrote this book and they, you know, they still have it and they were mm -hmm. their parents or maybe a teacher or a friend loved it and encouraged them and to keep going and they've been writing ever since and mm -hmm. that is not me. <laughs> at all. No, I'm, I'm, you know, that's, I, my mom has this story about how, and I think it was second grade, we had to keep a weekend journal, and we would have to write two sentences in it every weekend. And every weekend, it would be, you know, Sunday night, my mom would sit me down and just say, write something, Rebecca. <laughs> and I would say, we went to grandma's house. My mom would say two sentences, you have to write two sentences. And I would say it was fun. Mm -hmm, and the next mm -hmm. weekend, it would be, we went sledding. My mom would be pulling out her hair, just saying two sentences, and it was fun. I mean, I hated writing. Um, so, you know, when you when you talk about coming to the written word, it certainly wasn't my written word that it was coming to. If anything, I fell in love with reading. And I did fall oh. in love with reading and with stories and with books um, from a very early age. I did. I loved it. Um, and I loved it all over the place. I mean, I read picture books on black holes. I read you know, Animorphs, they've come out with a graphic mm -hmm. novel version of it now. And I loved mm -hmm. Animorphs growing up, mm -hmm. you know, so it was, I read Sweet Valley High and I read, you know, um, Pride and Prejudice. And I just read all over the board, anything I could get my hands on, I could read it. Um, and I did, I went and became an engineer because, you know, I, I didn't really like the writing thing. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. loved engineering, love, I still do love knowing how the world works. Um, and so that was very cool. Um, it was a surprise to me, though, to realize that as part of engineering, you actually end up writing quite a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I was doing research, and there is zero point to finding anything out if you can't communicate it. You know, if, if I figured out how the world works in my head, but I don't tell you about it, the world hasn't gotten any better. You know, mm -hmm. so if I can't communicate it to you, I haven't done my job. I've done maybe half my job at best. So um, I had to write, and I had to learn to write. And it got to the point that I was doing research and doing so many re much research and publishing so many articles that I realized I actually loved seeing these stories of mine being published. And they were very dry stories and they were very targeted stories, esoteric stories, but there was still this cool, you know, there's a conflict. There's this question that has to be answered and there are characters. And when I talked mm -hmm. to school visits, I have this whole workup about, you know, I worked for Chrysler and the characters were the cars and they were always breaking. I mean, and so we had all this conflict and the scenes and the setting and we would travel all over. And so it came about very naturally that I had to learn to write. Mm -hmm. And I realized I enjoyed stories and kind of the confluence of that brought me back to to writing books and to books and specifically books for young kids. Um, my editor and I have this, you know, we we go back and forth saying we have the shortest attention spans on the planet. Like <laughs> it has to be like interesting to kids or else we're not going to be able to be interested in it. Like you got to you got to be fast paced. You got to be moving. You got to keep us interested. 
Mm-hmm. So, so mine was a very uh, torturous route back to to writing, to um, to books and to stories, uh, mostly through reading. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of getting my, you know, as if you were pulling my teeth to get me to write, <laughs> but eventually realizing that that there was a melding you know, a, a melding of two really wonderful things about saying uh, true stories, which are just as fascinating as any stories that anyone mm-hmm. would make up mm-hmm. and and some engineering and some writing. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love the, the journey back and around. And I also love uh, that you point out that sometimes true stories are the most fascinating because it's almost like, how could this have happened or almost too hard to believe, but we know it's a true story. So there's definitely intrigue to that. There is. And I think, and I think school ends up doing a lot of disservice in many ways. Um, Mm -hmm. Bill Bryson is an adult memoirist, right? He writes for adults, but he has this great book, a short history of nearly everything. Mm -hmm. And in the Mm -hmm. preface of it, it's a science-based book, but in the preface of it, you know, he's explaining how he as a literary guy and why he's writing a science book. And he said, you know, he grew up thinking that science was really dull, but having this sneaking suspicion that it didn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And, I think, and I think so many of us get bogged down by the details and by the the real backbone you have to struggle with first. You know, with language, we don't do that. We don't remember being two and three years old and, and screwing up every other word and just getting corrected. But that's a lot of what we have to do um, later in life with math and science. And mm-hmm. so we remember all those difficulties. And so it's those difficulties we remember instead of these awesome and incredible stories that, you know, that this language, that the language of math and the language of science lets us tell. And so I think we do a real disservice by burying these incredible, incredible stories um, in a lot of esoteric language that takes a a long time to learn and a long time to appreciate. So, um, you know, I always say that it's not that I really want to hide STEM subjects in the science and math and engineering. It's not like I'm trying to sneak vegetables into your dessert or something. Mm -hmm. They're just Mm -hmm. good stories. You know, I'd like to think that I'm telling them well, but these are just good stories. So it's not trying to sneak engineering and math into them. It's just telling a story and telling it hopefully well. Love that. Love that. Um, So that, that might inform a little bit of the next question, but I'll pose it just in case there are pieces that you want to add, which is um, you talked about being an engineer and sort of the technical writing and, and those pieces. And I'm curious about what that background in engineering informs in your writing for young people. Yeah. And I think that does dovetail well with the the last question because engineering and math and science really are language. I mean, they're, they're separate languages and you have to learn them. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, just you, you can play around with English grammar and just as we're talking, you know, we're using plenty of incomplete sentences and, you know, ellipses and and all of this fun stuff that, you know, we, we play with the language um, Mm -hmm. and certainly writers do that too. But you have to have a coherent backbone first, right? You can't mm-hmm. just go and expect, you know, there's a reason three-year-olds don't write books. You know, the, the, you, you have to get that pattern of language down first before you can break the rules. You have to understand the rules. So a lot of my background in engineering has taught me just to be fluent in a language so that I can mm-hmm. I can look at math and I can look at some degree of science and, and understand what that means, what the story is trying to tell. 
And so I think what my background brings to writing, especially to writing narrative stories for young people, is really being able to translate between one and the other, between mm -hmm. this English language that we're comfortable with um, mm -hmm. and, and this other language that I've spent a lot of time becoming fluent in. And so hopefully I can take one and translate it into another and, and take the best parts out and make it make it um, very easy for someone who's fluent in English to appreciate this, what this other language is trying to tell us. Love that. Yeah. And love what you've said about the accessibility of topics, um, because I also trained as an academic and it's that thing of I want to write I want to communicate ideas, but, you know, I'd really want people to actually enjoy what I write as well yeah. and to yeah. write in an engaging and accessible way. Yeah. And certainly there is, you know, as an academic yourself, I'm sure you're trained to write in a certain fashion, right? Academic articles, you want you, and that's for a reason, so that you can go right to the material you need and write to the material, you know, at the exact point where you're expecting it to be. And everyone can kind of, you know, understand these different stories and research, you know, mm -hmm. in, in a certain way. So that's very helpful. But then to to switch from that, and if that's all you're giving people, you know, you're you're not going to be able to appreciate the emotion of it because it's very unemotional for the most part. Mm -hmm. So adding that emotion back in, I think, that was actually kind of tricky. Um, and that's, I do a little bit of fiction writing. Um, I have a couple of short stories appearing in Scholastic Scope magazine this year. And so, so the odd bit, and that is absolutely the hardest for me is getting back to to the emotion and to the character arc because that's what's that's missing in in engineering in these academic articles. The conflict is there, the setting is there, the characters are there, but this but the emotional arc isn't necessarily so much. And so I think that's probably been the hardest part of the whole, like you said, the writing journey for me. Um, <laughs> kind of retraining myself into that story, into that into the character development. Um, that that's been that's been a little bit of a trick. Yeah, yeah. Also a fan of Scholastic Scope, and I have several teacher friends that use that, so that's very cool to know as well. Oh, it was it was a huge honor. I mean, there was definitely jumping up and down, and yeah. you know, it was. <laughs> I'm 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 thrilled and I'm really excited. Plus, it's just it's interesting to get to use you know the tool, the language, um, in another way, and so I love getting to play with it more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so what do you hope that readers take away from what you're sharing? You, you talked about that idea of um, solving the problems of the world and wanting to communicate it. Um, I have personally not solved the problems of the world, <laughs> but, I, but I hope in some small way I've helped. I'm so curious about what, what, reader, what you would want readers to take away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not solving all the world's problems, but man, <laughs> it's just... It's understanding the way the world works. You know, why does that roller coaster? Why is that roller coaster safe? And and how and how do we launch things to the moon? And and I get really I get I get energized by these questions. I kind of nerd out, and I love nerding out about them. Um, but if I was going to help that some people, what people would take away from my books, or first of all, just a good story. I just yeah. want people to read and enjoy um, a good story. And that's something I even struggled with as a kid. You know, you'd get the the essay questions on your test. And what was the theme of this book? And, you know, what was the author thinking at this point? And, <laughs> and I, I'm, I hope teachers use my books and I hope they use them and for questions like that. But above all, I hope people are reading them for a good story. Again, I think nonfiction gets a, gets a pretty bad rap for that. And so some of what I'd like to do is kind of take that away and, and real, help people realize that they can enjoy nonfiction as well. 
I think beyond that, if I can open up any of the STEM subjects, any science, technology, engineering, math, if I can make that more accessible for people and realize that, you know, maybe, maybe that my homework problems aren't going so well, but this is a really cool area and it's worth putting maybe some extra work or thinking about it in a different way or going about it in a different way. Um, if my books can help people do that, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you have Unbreakable, mm -hmm. um, exploring questions of codes and such. So I'm curious if, you, if you'd like to tell us a little bit more about that, as well as what might be next, what's currently cooking in your creative journey. There's the there's Unbreakable. That's some odd glare going on there. But yeah, Unbreakable. Um, so this is the story about the Enigma code. Um, mm -hmm. And I use code and cipher interchangeably. Technically, it's a cipher. And if I don't say that I'm using them interchangeably, someone will knock me on it. And, and, they, and they will be right. So one of those technical, technical things in the field. Yes. <laughs> but it's, and, and they would be entirely correct in doing so. Um, just colloquially. In fact, I even open up the book with, uh, I think it's a quote from Hugh Alexander saying, yeah, we know they're different let it go. We're using code and cipher interchangeably. And so I feel like if Hugh Alexander could do that, he was one of the lead co-breakers at Bletchley Park. And so I say, if he can do it, then, then I'm doing it too. And just let me get away with this one. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so all that to say that this Enigma code was, the Germans called it their unbreakable code, their unbreakable cipher. And of course they threw everything into Enigma. I mean, the radio messages were sent over the radio, obviously. So literally anyone listening with a radio could tune in and hear it. And it was all Morse code. So there's dots and dashes. Mm -hmm. But even if you were listening to the dots and dashes, nothing would make sense in German. None of the messages were in English because they were this gobbledygook, this gibberish, because it had been sent through this Enigma machine and, and encoded. And so the whole book is about the allies. First, the Polish, even 10 years before the war, the book opens 10 years before the war. I mean, the Polish know the Germans are coming for them. You know, they, they have a lot of motivation to get cracking on this and they do, and they do some really great work. Um, and then when the Germans invade Poland in 1939, they kind of pass the baton off to the British um, in Bletchley Park. And that's where names like, you know, we, we were familiar with Alan Turing and, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and that's kind of when the more familiar names come up. But the story actually starts long before that. And so we spend the war um, following some of the Polish Codebreakers. We follow Alan Turing and his troop of codebreakers at Bletchley Park. We spend um, some time with some spies who are instrumental in getting the codebreakers the information that they need. So it's really this combination of the codebreakers, the spies, and then the military, really the Navy, who goes and, and captures ships and grabs codes, grabs pieces of codes that they can use, you know, to pair with plain language messages. Mm -hmm. um, so there's there's quite a bit of action in it. I mean, there's there's a healthy dose of math, but there's quite a bit of of action going on in it. So so that's unbreakable. And and you mentioned my next book uh, is about mountains mm -hmm. and islands. So Mountain of Fire, uh, I believe it's subtitled The Eruption and Survivors of Mount St. Helens. Uh, that will come out May 14th to 2024. So we are, you and I are talking, we're recording this in September and late September. And so mm -hmm. um, advanced copies, electronic advanced copies just became available. The cover was just released last week. Um, so it's kind of, you know, just getting those early wheels turning, but mm -hmm. I'm really excited about it. 
Um, most of my books have been about historical events, you know, World War II, even the Antarctica book was about half of it was back in 1912. And so most of the people I write about are unfortunately dead. And so I can't talk to them. But Mount St. Helens was really cool to write about because I got to interview some really neat people who are nice. there, who are, you know, still working, still working to understand the mountain, still working to help people access the mountain and protect the mountain. Um, so hearing from them was it, it really made the book come alive. And I'm really proud of really proud to get to showcase them and their efforts. Um, and I'm honored that they've trusted me with their story. So that comes out May 14th. And it's written, it's probably my lowest, uh, you know, middle grade kind of gets divided into these categories of upper and lower. And so this is mm -hmm. probably um, on the lower end. So, um, but hopefully a wide range of people can enjoy it. And I'm thrilled. I'm absolutely excited to get to uh, share it with the people who helped me write it um, and get mm -hmm. to share it with, with more readers very, very soon, actually. So. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I, I appreciate what you're doing in the world of nonfiction, informational text, and um, curious about where readers can go to follow the journey, to learn more, to see the books that are already out uh, and things of that nature. Yeah. So probably the most stable way of finding me is my website. It's just RebeccaEFBarone.com. So R-E-B-E-C-C-A-E-F-B-A-R-O-N-E.com. That will always be there. Um, mm -hmm. I used to say Twitter slash X, I suppose now mm -hmm. is also mm -hmm. a great way to find me. Um, that, that seems perhaps a little less stable at this point, but handle there is the same thing as my name. I'm on most social media, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I think I have a blue sky account at this point. Um, fantastic. So, yeah, <laughs> it's all, all my name. So it's all some form of that Rebecca EF Barone. Um, and website will always be updated. Uh, Twitter slash X on Facebook, Instagram are also great places to find me there. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your work and glad to share about it. Yeah, happy to be here. And thanks so much for inviting me. I had a great My time talking. Great to talk with you as well. Thanks. Uh -huh.